Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Contreras Show for the first day of fall, Tuesday, September 22nd. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about pediatricians warning of a flu shot crisis, what you need to know. And a new study finds that though you're saving money during the pandemic, your financial stress levels have increased. What's with that? You know what was supposed to happen today? Today was supposed to be the first day of virtual learning at the Toronto District School Board and something Something has gone a little bit off. When the, Canada's largest school board once again delaying the start of some of its virtual elementary classes as it tries to um, keep up with the demand. Six, 60,000 elementary school students, by the way, have signed up for online classes. And uh, today, virtual learning was supposed to start. And it will for some. But according to the National Post, parents and students will have to log on to its online learning portal this morning to find out if their lessons can get underway as schedule. And if you have no teacher assigned to you, guess what? You're on your own, independent learning. Here to uh, join the show and shed some light on what exactly is going on at the Toronto District School Board, Ryan Bird, who is a spokesperson. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Okay. So I just need to know, is this a lottery situation? Was it a first-come, first-served situation where you assigned kids to teachers for virtual learning? There's no specific group of people that would receive it first. It's really as classes are assigned in our system. So overall, and and you alluded to this as far as the the number of kids, about 60,000. If you look at both secondary, which also starts today, uh, and elementary, we've got about 78,000 students that are starting virtual learning. Uh, that number was in the 50s of thousands uh, just a week and a half to two weeks ago. It then went up to about 63,000. Then it's going up to the low 70s. And now we're at 78,000 students, which is, when you look at total enrollment, larger than most school boards in Ontario. So it's that staffing process to keep up with the, the demand that we've seen over the last couple of weeks that's been really difficult as we try to hire more and more teachers just to keep up with the number of students. Okay, so how many students to a virtual classroom? Sorry, assigned, like, do you mean today? How many students are in a virtual classroom Well, if you can't find enough teachers to teach the classroom, I'm assuming that you have a cap on students or a specific number of students um, assigned to each teacher. So what are we we talking about as far as uh, students to teachers in a virtual classroom? So we have, it varies depending on the grade level. So if you look at, uh, in some cases, it will be just above 28. Sometimes it'll be just below 28. It depends on the, the grade level and the, the caps for each virtual classroom. So it's going to vary on grade. Overall, we need about 2,200 teachers for 2,200 classes uh, of elementary alone virtual learners. Uh, yesterday, we had about 500 to go. Uh, I can tell you that we got an update this morning. Uh, apparently, we found another 300 yesterday going through our occasional or a supply teacher lists, and we're hoping to get even more today. Unfortunately, though, if you're hired yesterday, or at least indicate that you're willing to, uh, you know, come online and teach a virtual classroom, we couldn't get you up and running for today. We have to not only just the regular employee onboarding that has to be done, but then we also want to do some training on the Brightspace online learning platform that we use, make sure they're familiar with that uh, environment and and do some of that before they can start the virtual class. So we're hoping that the teachers that we identified yesterday can get up and running potentially tomorrow, Thursday. So uh, we're hoping that we can get most classes up and running this week. 
Ay, ay, ay. Ryan, this is a virtual you-know-what show. Um, wow. Yeah, the, the, you know, I, I, I it's say, frustrating for parents. I wanted it like this. Yeah, I, and, and I get that. I, I honestly do. I think it's also frustrating for staff. You know, we're taking a staffing process that would usually take months, and we crunched it down to about two or three weeks because it had to be based off our registration numbers. So nobody's getting the lead time they usually would. Uh, you know, teachers don't have a lot of time to prepare. In some cases, it's just a matter of, yes, if you're already familiar with the online learning platform and you're teaching a similar grade, um, yes, it's a, it's a bit of a change, obviously, f- switching over to virtual, but you know the content uh, because you've taught it before. Others may be teaching a new grade for the first time. Uh, and we do understand that. But, you know, given the fact that the demand keeps on going up, or did over the last couple of weeks, uh, we just had to staff accordingly. And unfortunately, we just couldn't get it all done in time. All right. We're talking with Ryan Bird, who's a spokesperson for the Toronto District School Board. Canada's the largest uh, school board. You know, Ryan, you're talking about how the TDSB hasn't been able to assign staff to all their virtual classes. So what's going on if people are just joining us now is some people will sign on for their kids. Uh, they'll go onto the website where their kids are supposed to do virtual learning. And if there's no welcome note from a teacher, then they are on their own. We'll get to that in a second. But I think what people are thinking here is why the why the lack of uh, teachers out there? You know, there was didn't we always have been hearing about this glut of young teachers that are waiting to get hired. Why haven't the, you know, TB, TDSB been able to uh, assign staff to classes? Well, we, we have been. It's just the it's because of the increase in the number of students going virtual uh, that we've had to do this in a very, very quick uh, time. You know, only after the last week, it's been going up by thousands. Uh, so it comes down to the time crunch and just the demand that we're facing. So we're going through our occasional or supply teacher list now. Uh, we had another 300 or so uh, come online yesterday. And we're going to hopefully get even more from that list today so that most will be up and running this week. Obviously, if for some reason we can't use our occasional list, then we can look for uh, newer teachers. But bottom line, you will have a qualified teacher. Obviously, we want to make sure that that is number one. Um, But you will have a qualified teacher that will be leading that class. Ryan, why wouldn't you look to the new teachers? Like you have the it's a virtual class. It, who oh, yeah, better no, to teach a virtual class than the young teachers? Like, to me, that's a no-brainer. They're the first people. I wouldn't have been going to my occasionals. I, I might have been blanketing out, a, you know, a media release saying, hey, if you want to teach with the TDSB virtually, uh, here's the website. Let us know. We'll get you We'll get you hired because this is not really a surprise because we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we were looking at 60,000 elementary school students that wanted to learn virtually. I, I know I sound like I'm coming down on you pers- personally no. here. But I think, Ryan, that people are just probably a little beside themselves right now, because if we have these young teachers and we're talking about a different kind of learning environment, isn't this the perfect time to blow up the classroom virtually online and do something different? Because it sounds to me like you're trying to do the exact same thing in a classroom online, and it's a very different um learning space. There's no two ways about it. So this was a great opportunity to um, have more kids in a class, to facilitate kids uh, just by uh, teaching in a different way. And who better than the young people that grew up with computers all their lives? I mean, you're not asking somebody to come out of retirement to teach kids online because they'll be like, you know, me with my smartphone some days where you're like, I don't, I, I can't even find the the happy face emoji. What's going on? 
that part is simple and I can teach you. But in general, <laughs> I can tell you that some of those teachers will be younger, newer teachers. That doesn't mean that those aren't on our, our occasional teacher list. The fact is we have mm-hmm. so LTO list or long term occasional uh, is a num- it's a list of hundreds and hundreds of teachers that are already on a list and uh, essentially pre-screened, if you will, to be employed with the Toronto District School Board. So it doesn't mean that those newer, younger teachers are not on that list. It it just means that we have to go through our approved list that we've already done some legwork on. We know who they are. We know their qualifications. uh, We can hire from that list first. Is this a seniority thing? Uh, No, it's just about, uh, well, there's seniority that comes into hiring anyways. But in general, this is the LTO list comes down to just these are the people that have been pre-screened already. So every year there are people that are added to the LTO list. Typically people start with a, an occasional teaching job, a supply job, and then can slowly move into a more permanent job in the years ahead. So we draw from LTO is long-term first. occasional, is that? Correct, yep. For the rest of us that don't teach. Yep. Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> the, how, much of the, how much is the union dictating here? On, on class sizes, on um, on virtual learning, and what that space is supposed to look like? You know, I, I don't get the sense that that's playing an important role. Yes, we do have collective agreements that we have to follow, and there's class caps and that kind of thing. But in general, this is really just a numbers issue as far as number of students needed to be served and number of teachers needing to serve them. Uh, so that's what we're trying to work through right now. Okay, uh, I'll get you off the hot seat. What does independent learning look like for those kids that have to do that today? So if you log on to our website and click on the virtual school uh, button, you'll be able to see that there is an area for, we call it asynchronous, basically means independent, work at your own pace work. Uh, there are, that's broken down into different grades, so there'll be resources on there right now. Uh, we're also begin- going to be having some live YouTube sessions for students that are not yet in a virtual classroom so that they can familiarize themselves with Brightspace, which is our online learning platform that they'll be using, and really kind of familiarize themselves with this new way of learning. So there absolutely are resources for those students today. No, it's, it's not the kind of the live interactive virtual classroom that everyone or some that we'll be starting with today, uh, but they will have resources and we hope to get them up online and learning very shortly. Okay, and so do we have a timeline on, on your best case scenario of when you'll have those virtual teachers all uh, set up and ready to teach the kids that are independent learning right now? You know, and speaking with the staff this morning, the 300 teachers that were identified yesterday will take a couple of days to get up online. So, you know, that will be probably Wednesday, Thursday, that they'll be able to start their online classrooms or virtual classrooms. We're hoping to get most, if not all, conducted this week. Might there be the odd class that creeps into ne- next week? It's possible. Uh, but my understanding is that we're doing well by working through the numbers. So we're hoping to get everyone uh, online and learning this week. In the meantime, um, do parents just keep checking every morning? Essentially. Uh, you know, if we can target uh, those families with certain emails to say, you are now in a class, we will. The difficulty is, is that list keeps on changing as more teachers are assigned to classes and students are assigned to classes. So unfortunately, it's a bit of a moving target. Uh, but we will obviously try to communicate as best we can. But yes, if you can check on to your uh, family or your students' uh, Brightspace platform, that's our online teaching tool, uh, you can see if a teacher's been assigned to the class. You know, I don't I I give think it to ideally. You. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go for it. No, go ahead. You think no, ideally? 
No, I was just going to say, ideally, we would have obviously liked to inform people uh, before, uh, give them more lead time, make it more clear. But the, the timelines we're dealing with are just so tight that we, we can't do what we ideally would like to do. All right, Ryan. Well, I, I thank you for your uh, honesty. You're pro all the way. And I uh, don't envy your position right now as a spokesperson for the Toronto District School Board. Thanks so much for joining us, as always. Thanks for the opportunity. First day of fall. Happy fall to you. Uh, although fall is a scary time because flu season starts in fall. And when we're in the middle of a pra- uh, pandemic with coronavirus, that is a frightening thought. Um, Quebec, their public health officer, has announced that they are in their second wave of the pandemic. We're expecting our premier to announce the uh, COVID-ready fall preparedness plan for today. However, uh, the NDP saying you're you're announcing the fall preparedness plan on the first day of fall, a little late, uh, but that is the opposition's job, isn't it? Let's face facts. But y- you have to wonder how prepared we are. And, you know, Ford has said it's it's floating here. It's it's in flux. We're trying our best to get a handle on this coronavirus, but things keep changing. I want to welcome onto the program um, the Ontario Medical Association president, Dr. Samantha Hill. Uh, doctor, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Totally a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the air. So your members are... Um, they are basically uh, warning people that we are facing a flu shot crisis because of anticipated demand being so high this year because of the pandemic. Uh, you've started an online petition. The the members of the OMA have. What is in the petition and, and why have you started it? Fair enough. So to clarify, that petition comes out of the section of pediatrics, um, which are some of my brightest and smartest colleagues, but it doesn't come out of OMA Central itself. And so I can't speak per se to the petition, but I can speak to the concerns that are outlined therein because they're the same concerns we've all been flagging for the last little while, right? And that's basically that if you're going to get a flu shot, this is the year to get it. If you've never had one before, this is the year you want to have one. If you're an every year, good for you, make sure you get it again this year. And so when you start saying that over and over again to people, and hopefully they hear you and they're listening, um, the demand goes up. But the ability to administer the flu shot this year is going to be dramatically impacted by all of the precautions that we take to protect ourselves and each other from COVID. And so when you put those two things together, it's a challenge, and it's a challenge you can see coming. We knew that COVID and the flu were going to align around the same time, and so we're seeing that happen. That's not a surprise. But we are waiting with bated breath to see what that plan from the ministry looks like as it gets rolled out this week to know if it's something that we can do, if it's something that takes into account all of the the factors. You know, you mentioned it earlier uh, Doug Ford saying that everything is, keeps moving and keeps changing. And that's kind of been the mantra for 2020 is expect the unexpected. So we're hopeful that what gets rolled out is something that we can actually implement and do so effectively for the well-being of all Ontarians. You know, you hit the nail right on the head, expect the unexpected. However, we expect flu season will happen as it normally does. We expect that virtual learning will happen in the middle of a pandemic. Yet, I know I'm mixing two different stories. One of the big stories is the TDSB not being ready with virtual learning today. Like some kids are going to go online and they're not going to have a teacher. So they're going to have to learn independently. Yet we've known since March that school was in flux and kids might not be able to go back to school or want to go back to school in the middle of a pandemic. So those hurdles were there. They were in place. We could see them coming. They didn't 
um, plan for those hurdles. They didn't train for those hurdles on, on different ways to get around them, over them, under them. What are you hoping the province will say when it comes to flu shots? How would you handle getting over those hurdles? Maybe it's not an over. Maybe you get under. Maybe you get around. We're in a pandemic. How do you pivot? Absolutely. And so the question is about how you pivot. I'm not one for blaming and shaming. I think everyone really is doing their best right now. We've all been pulled in a thousand directions and we're trying to manage everything. And it's, uh, it's a, sorry, it's a challenge. It's frankly, you know, it's been hard for every single human being in the world right now. And so I think that holds true with the flu as well. What I'm hoping to see is a well thought out plan that takes into account the variables of limited human resources to actually administer the vaccine that takes into account the variables of the time required to do so and the safety elements required to do so and that allows us to really maximize on the socialism so to speak of Canadians and our desire to protect each other because I would hate for someone who wants a flu vaccine this year to be turned off by a waiting list or a time or any other hurdle that is put in their way. This is the year to make things as easy and as convenient as possible. And the Ontario Medical Association physicians, frankly, I mean, we're here to take care of patients. We're here to help protect the community. So whatever that plan comes out looking like, we are going to collaborate to the best of our abilities to make it come to fruition. But it would be nice to know what's in it. Yeah, Dr. Flanders, who probably has the best name ever for a doctor, um, and I'm sure he gets sick of the highly holdly, uh from his patients. But uh, Dr. Flanders is uh, one of your physicians, and he is uh, part of the working group behind the petition. He's suggesting that maybe the province uh, implements or incorporates in some form, way, shape, or form, some sort of tent that is separate from COVID-19 centers, but close enough to it, where you could go and get a dedicated flu shot. Is that something that you could see doable? Absolutely. There's lots of great ideas out there, and that's just one of them. The other ideas have included using parking lots, doing mobile clinics, using other centers like Dynacare or Life Labs. There's lots of ways to, oh, I hate this analogy, but to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But It is a horrible analogy, isn't it? It really is. I'm so sorry. Um, But at the end of the day, what's going to make a difference is that there is one plan that gets rolled out that all of the stakeholders can get behind, whether they're doctors, nurses, pharmacists, patients, bureaucrats, politicians, it doesn't matter, that we can all align on and enact. Because the last thing anybody in Ontario needs right now is us fighting amongst each other about which answer is better. It doesn't matter which one is better. What matters is that we have a plan, that the plan is doable, and that we make it happen. Okay, so we, knew, we know we need a plan. Um, I think it's, it's crucial that we get to uh, the crisis portion of, of the flu shot that you're worried about. Are we worried about running out of the flu shot because of increased demand? I'm not actually worried about running out of the flu shot. Dr. Tam said that a lot of extra were ordered, and um, we shall see. Uh, you know, I would take that as a good news story if we ran out. It, may, it would mean that everyone that could be vaccinated was vaccinated, and that would be a remarkable piece of Canadian history. But what I am worried about is that there will be people who choose not to get vaccinated. And what I am worried about are the people who are at risk being exposed to either the flu or COVID or both simultaneously. And that, as a physician, that's concerning. 
We know that uh, one of the worries about COVID was that kids could be super spreaders. And we found out that um, with COVID and things change on a daily basis. So where we're at right now, it seems like kids are not super spreaders, but they are super spreaders of flu. So how crucial is it that your kid get a flu shot and how early do they need to get a flu shot? Great questions. And so the answer is absolutely crucial and as soon as possible. Um, But to elaborate on that a little bit, what we're looking to do is we're trying to get enough people, whether they're pediatric aged or geriatric aged or, you know, normal aged, in between age. Sorry to everyone Mm -hmm. I just offended. Um, I don't mind being normal. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Is that just that it's we want to get enough people vaccinated that it can't spread. We know that some people are still going to catch COVID. We know that some people are still going to catch the flu. But we need to make sure we don't transmit it from one to the other in an unimpeded process that leaves us looking like New York or Milan. We need to protect each other. And we need to protect our healthcare infrastructure because, quite frankly, we're already strapped, right? There's a backlog of healthcare that needs to be addressed. We can't afford, neither fiscally nor from an actual health perspective, to fall any further behind on that curve. Right. Now, uh, what about the idea of, you know, we're hearing that Ford, by uh, this the end of this week, he's hoping to get physicians to start giving COVID tests or, uh, sorry, pharmacists to give COVID tests at pharmacies. He's hoping that'll be in place by the end of the week. Is there any kind of uh, worry that uh, pharmacists also are uh, one of the ways that we get our, our flu shot on a yearly basis? The worry about crossover potential, um, you know, uh, potential uh, for, you know, spreading COVID-19, getting the flu shot where you get a COVID test. So, of course, there's a concern. I mean, that's that's the big issue about that's being raised as far as supply or the ability to to administer the vaccine. It's not about who does it, whether it's a nurse or a pharmacist or a doctor. Um, It's about making sure that we have those precautions in place so that there's two meters distancing between people, that there are masks on people, that we have the ability to sanitize services in between people. You know, the last story any of us want to be covering is how a CAC center or a pharmacy became the nidus for the next outbreak. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it at that. And uh, I'm sure that you and uh, all of us will be listening to our premier at one o'clock this afternoon when he announces the fall preparedness uh, plan as as far as the province is concerned, because that flu component, that flu shot has to be a big part of it. Absolutely. And while we have your listeners on the line, I'm going to remind them that no matter what comes out of that plan, we all have the power to make a difference here. And that boils back to doing the same things we did at the very beginning when COVID was coming out, keeping our distance from other people, washing our hands religiously, wearing a mask and sticking to our social bubbles. Those things make a difference. They're proven. And so I cannot stress enough how important it is that people do those. And of course, get your flu vaccine this year. I love surveys. Like I I really want some Richard Dawson audio survey says uh, there is a recent survey that finds that working Canadians are better off financially um, since COVID. And uh, although they are, they are more stressed about money. The uh, survey was conducted by the Canadian Payroll Association and here to talk about the uh, survey and the results of that survey shed some light on what exactly is going on in our households is the Canadian Payroll Association President Peter Zenitakis. Welcome to the show, Peter. Good to have you along. Good morning. Okay, so what shocked you most about your findings in this survey? 
Well, working Canadians uh, who you would think are the lucky ones during this pandemic are, are better off financially because they were essentially forced to save on things like commuting and, and daycare. Uh, so, you know, 37 percent um, are living paycheck to paycheck, which is actually down from last year significantly. And it's sitting at its lowest level in 12 years uh, since we first started conducting the survey. But more are financially stressed because they're they're overwhelmed by future uncertainty, even though their bank accounts are healthier today. That is really interesting. So basically, when we are living paycheck to paycheck, we're less stressed out than when we have no idea what the future holds as far as a pandemic. That's correct. Uh, You know, COVID has essentially derailed the traditional factors impacting financial stress, such as your ability to save. Financial stress today is being driven more so by how people view the future economic prospects, the job outlook, and inflation. And these psychological factors are creating major uncertainty right now. And it's our biggest enemy in battling financial stress. Okay, so let's talk about um, the uh, beyond that, the other findings in in your survey and things that shocked you about how we're handling the pandemic in our uncertainty of the future. Yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, some of these psychological factors um, include their views on where things are going to go as opposed to what's in their pocket today. So 65% are worried about the economic recession and half of working Canadians are deeply concerned about job security, as well as about 48% are uh, worried about uh, whether they can retire and two out of three are really worried about inflation and those are off the charts higher than last year. So it's, it's, it's these sentiments, even though they're working right now, that they're extremely worried about it. And what's happened is that we've seen a huge influx of people that are actually financially stressed in that category, up to 43% compared to 26% last year. And how is this impacting like the relationships in the households that they live in? Because a lot of us are working from home. So we have also found in the survey that um, it is having an impact both uh, at work and at home. So, uh, you know, you know, Canadians have said that they um, uh, have had an impact, a negative impact on the relationships at home due to financial stress and also at the workplace because they're mulling over sort of their financial future and are really concerned. And we've estimated that that's costing uh, Canadian employers $20 billion in lost productivity. And that's actually a conservative estimate. Okay, so you look at the uh, results of the survey, and then, of course, you start to talk about possible solutions to the stress that we're feeling. Are there solutions? So since these are psychological factors that are impacting uh, working Canadians right now, it's really important uh, to um, engage employees. So one thing that business leaders really need to pay attention to is that they need to assist their employees to change their mindset right now. Because nearly half of working Canadians right now believe that their employer will undertake layoffs. So any positive news to reinforce how the organization is actually navigating COVID uh, would be very, very helpful. Okay, so um, this is is this something that you're seeing that employers are setting up? Because I know Chorus is very attentive to, to our needs and how we're dealing with the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, you know, payroll can play a really important role. As employees start coming back onto payroll, as the economy opens up, uh, it's really important to reinforce your pay yourself first program. So these are automatic deduction savings plans uh, for a rainy day or retirement. It, It really helps to reinforce that you need to have a plan for the future and for any unforeseen impacts, such as what we've seen in COVID. So it's really important to get people, you know, once they get back onto payroll, it's really important for them to get back onto their um, savings plans and really try to reinforce that positive um, future financial outlook. Okay, and this is really, it's important to have a positive employee because you also need their productivity to stay at a Uh, you know, at at the normal levels, because if they're too stressed out and their productivity falls, then your business is in trouble. And then it's like a vicious cycle, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, Our survey found that nearly 70% of working Canadians spend time at work thinking about or worrying about their finances. And of course, that uh, if they're not, if they're not, if they're doing that, they're not sort of, um, you know, being productive. And that ties into that $20 billion of lost productivity figure that that the researchers have calculated because that's time spent away from sort of focusing on work and and focused on uh, some of these uh, other psychological factors impacting their financial future. So it's something that, you know, business leaders really need to pay attention to. In the past, you know, employers could could help us feel more confident and and uh, ensure that we stick with the company and work at our hardest by giving us more money. But how likely are employers to give raises this year? Do we even know? Uh, that's tough to predict. I mean, some sectors of the economy have actually been doing well, and you know, we've seen some top ups to certain types of frontline workers, for example. Um, you know, I think the most important thing here is, you know, if the organization is navigating successfully through COVID. It's really important to reinforce that. It's really important to engage employees. And it's really important to really uh, essentially get those people back onto payroll and ensure that they're, um, you know, saving for a rainy day because that's what we've seen uh, can potentially be a problem for people, uh, especially what we've seen with so many uh, unfortunate layoffs in the early stages of this pandemic. I think we're in our rainy day. In fact, I think we're in, you know, rainy season. Peter, I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks so much for talking about your survey. Thank you very much. Canadian Payroll Association President Peter Zanatakis. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Don't forget to pass on the news that we have a daily podcast in addition to our show Monday through Friday on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.